G'day and welcome to Australian Strange Stories, where we pull up a chair, kick back and listen to your strange stories about hair-raising encounters, unnerving events, weird happenings and dive into the eerie side of life. Real stories from real people about the unknown and unexplained. Hello and welcome to Australian Strange Stories Episode 2. As you might have noticed, we have a new voiceover at the beginning of this podcast and also at the end, so please stay tuned. We are very proud of that and trying our best to make this podcast bigger and better. For any feedback, ideas or suggestions, or if you would like to share your strange story with us, send us a message via our Facebook page, please. Australian Strange Stories. You can remain anonymous or we can read your story for you. But you're also very welcome to share the airspace with us and tell us your story in person. For this episode, I had a chat with Attila Coldy, a freelance creative producer of TV series, numerous documentaries and short horror movies about the paranormal and UFO encounters. I met him and his research team back in 2008 where they researched some strange activities in the house I lived in at the time with my family. He has done so many projects about the paranormal and UFOs that the list is really too long to all mention here, but you can find an overview in our podcast description. When I spoke with him, he had just returned from Europe, where he filmed his new documentary, titled Ghosts of Europe. And, my jolly goodness, did he have a few stories to share about all the experiences and encounters while filming his latest project. I have broken up the interview over episodes 2 and 3, as there was just so much to talk about. His stories really sent chills down my spine, and I hope you enjoy it as much as I did. Enjoy. Welcome, Attila. Um, so nice to talk to you again. Um, so tell, you. Me, tell me a little bit about yourself, what you've been doing just lately, because... I remember we met first in, in 2006, 2008, around that time. And, That's right. Uh, where, where you were really um, engaged with uh, the UFO or Society of Western uh, Sydney. Um, mm. what, what have you been doing since? Because I see that you've got a long uh, list of interesting projects that you have been involved with since. Yeah, well, we've been quite busy Um I've actually um, done a fair bit of work uh, in the actual um, survival hypothesis field. We've done some experiments, um, primarily which which had to do with um, uh, subjects being um, uh, placed into isolation and, and obviously monitoring their reaction. And it was a food-based experiment, so we were taking them through um, various stages. Um, so they basically were introduced to a location which was um, claimed to have been haunted mm-hmm. and um, basically what we did is obviously uh, expose these people to certain products. Kind of the staple diet of a paranormal investigator and see if that had any kind of influence uh, over their perception. So we actually did a paper on that with a um, uh, with a, uh, a psychologist over at EWS. Mm. So we did a fair bit of work in the, uh, in the so-called, um, well, the labelled ghost hunting field, um, but also in the cryptozoology area as well, uh, did a fair bit there. 
But um, primarily, I, I was—I guess—I was more focused on the media side of uh, of documenting people's lives uh, and uh, their stories mm-hmm. to do with the paranormal. Um, so basically, you know, we own a, a, a my wife and I own a, uh, a media company, and we've been quite busy doing reality shows and documentaries and the like. So um, over the past few years, yeah. Interesting. Look, and, and your company is called Moonlark Media. Correct. Yeah. And do you want to give people your your websites just in case they want to look it up? And yeah, that's cool. It's uh, moonlarkmedia.com. Um, that's the the website. We also have another one which mm-hmm. is paranormal paranormalinvestigators.tv, uh, which has got all our uh, basically most of our uh, paranormal content, all the information on our paranormal content that we've been filming over the years. Yeah, and, and Moonlark Media. It's a family based company in Sydney. Mm-hmm. That's right. And, and apart from um, documentaries and TV series um, that you guys have been involved in, you also do um, short uh, movies for companies. Is that correct? Well, primarily commercial work. Yeah. Uh, so we do quite a fair bit of commercial work as well. Uh, we do uh, stock videos too. So, yeah, just, just a, a normal-based uh, media company, really. Fantastic. And I saw you hmm. did a short horror film on Mary Grey. Do you want to tell me a little <laughs> bit about that? Yeah, well, we, we're going to probably um, upload that onto YouTube or Vimeo over the coming months. Um, yeah, it was a, actually a project. It was a short film for uh, film festivals. Um, uh, we were basically experimenting on an idea, and uh, the whole concept was was to see if we can actually get funding to turn it into a, uh, a feature-length film. So it's a 30-minute short film, but it was a, a, an idea that we came up with and we thought, oh, okay, well, let's let's shoot a, a short film and see where it goes. Fantastic. And are mm. you happy with the results? Uh, kind of. <laughs> <laughs> it's always well, such a hard question to ask a creative person, isn't it? Because you well, know what, they're normally their own worst enemy in, in terms of judge judging your own work. Yeah, look, I mean, I think we could have done better. And I think, you know, by creating Mary Gray, I think we, we grew, everyone grew from that, even the mm-hmm. um, uh, even the uh, the talent grew from it. But uh, we grew as a media company as well because we've learned a lot by actually doing something like that. So even if it doesn't become, <clears throat> you know, a hit or, or whatever that we were planning on uh, for it to become, I think it was a massive learning curve for us um, as a media company. So when we do our next one, then we know, things what to do and what not to do uh, because filming a film uh, is completely different from filming something that's uh, reality based like a documentary yeah exactly because there's this mm-hmm. whole sort of different techniques involved i can imagine that's well yeah kind of i mean you can you can basically implement a, a cinematic style into documentaries but i think it just it's, it's a whole different ball game altogether where the documentaries are, are pretty much almost run and gun that's the type of mm-hmm. style that we've been doing over the years um obviously there are other documentaries that we filmed that was more planned out mm-hmm. but with feature film it's a completely different scenario altogether you know you've got scripts you've got screenplays you've got everything that you put together mm-hmm. um so and i'm in the pre-planning process and um then you've got audition so it's it's quite a complex little um, project to get involved in, but it's worthwhile at the end of the day. It, um, 
you know, it, it's it's one of those things that you have an idea and you want to see it through, and then you see it come to fruition. So, um, yeah, I think it's 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 quite you know it's quite gratifying to actually see the end result. Um, but it's, it's, yeah. but it's not always the way it turns out to be. So you just got to live with it and just you know <laughs> learn from your mistakes and um, and grow from it. Yeah, exactly. And and did you give yourself a little star and grow? Um, yeah, I actually had a, a cameo appearance. Probably lasted for about two seconds, and that was it. <laughs> <You're> <laughs> five minutes of fame. <laughs> so, oh, yeah, I, I, I like being behind the camera. Not in front. Yeah, I fair enough. Like, yeah. Yeah, and and any unexpected guests in your in your movies? I mean, with the link to the paranormal uh, and, and and your experiences there, do we do we see any on camera um, appearances that were not maybe planned? Uh, is this for Mary Gray or for the other content that we... Uh, for both. For both. Well, look, we, we did have some interesting experiences. Um, and primarily a lot of this stuff was, was off camera. Hmm. Um, there was one particular uh, experience. We were filming a uh, series called Phasmophobia, mm-hmm. which is part of the uh, Paranormal Investigators series. And we had a crew there uh, with us, uh, a paranormal crew, and um, basically what we did is with every single episode we introduced a new person, we gave them a challenge to do. Mm -hmm. So essentially what they had to do is in this particular one we filmed this um, at an old asylum, uh, an abandoned asylum, um, and the young lady there had to basically walk in and she had to find notes and she had to um, investigate the noises that were coming from within the actual um, building. And mind you, this is, well, this is at night, mind you, so it's dark. And mm. the only illumination she has is a uh, is one of these uh, night-capable night vision handicams. Mm-hmm. Uh, so she's got to go through and find a note and the note gives her instructions on what to do. Mm-hmm. So um, as she's walking through, we had some props so we had people who were hiding in cupboards and stuff like that making sounds and she had to determine she had to investigate it whether or not it was a you know an ambiguous you know sound or whether it was created by you know environmentally created or by someone else so um off camera which is quite interesting we uh my daughter and a friend of mine were basically in the far end of this facility and they were making sounds and my daughter had this big black cloak so she walked across the hallway so you know Anyone who's walking in by themselves in, in an old abandoned asylum, if they see something like that, it can get quite, um, you know, quite frightening, yeah. uh, quite intimidating. <laughs> so obviously she, she went to investigate that, but my daughter met up with my friend. And um, they stayed there for a while uh, waiting to be called out. Now, unbeknownst to them that, you know, we were doing the reveal and everything else in a completely different area. And um, my friend, all of a sudden, well, what appeared to be my friend, uh, appeared with the camera crew, um, with with the rest of the town and everything else. And my wife's saying, my wife's basically said, look, you know, did you leave my daughter Michelle there by her own? You know, you're not supposed to do that. So she got quite upset. So this guy who who looked like my friend, he kind of laughed and then he said, he said something and then walked away and then disappeared. Now, eventually, my daughter came out, but she also came out with my friend. Oh, no. <laughs> so who was that second person that looked like my friend? It was like a doppelganger experience. Um, so, yeah, it was quite interesting because 
my friend had not left my daughter's side. I mean, she was only, what, 16 or 15 at the time. Mm. So she needed to be, you know, especially in a place like that, she needed to have some kind of guidance. Um, and he had never left her side. And we then started figuring out, well, okay, who was this second person that looked exactly like our friend? So it was almost like basically we had a doppelganger. Oh, uh, experience so it's quite interesting i mean you, you you don't expect to have experiences like this but um yeah we, we actually did so that's one of many weird and wonderful things that, that happened yeah during that, shoot yeah that's a quite amazing one and, and especially because you you probably were not the only one who saw him oh no my wife's whole team of well, exactly the whole crew saw him saw yeah. this other person or whatever it was oh wow and and what, what do you think it might have been? Do you have an explanation for it yourself or do you have a, a theory about it? Oh, I have no bloody idea, to be honest. <laughs> it's, um, I've never, I mean, I've, you've heard of stories where people have seen doppelgangers in the past who, you know, bring misfortune or, or mm. bring death and things like that. I mean, obviously nothing like this had happened, but, um, you know, there are stories in the like over the course of history, the people have actually witnessed these things and what yeah. they are. I mean, you know, I mean, who knows? Yeah, exactly. We don't know what we're dealing with. No, I've, I've heard theories indeed that certain beings, whether you call them ghosts or if it's, if it's something from a different dimension, that can actually take on the appearances of people here. Mm. And, mm. And, and, but don't really respond to if they're being approached, don't really respond. And like you said, this person, as soon as it was addressed, um, or this being, we should say, because we don't really know what it is, but they, they just, um, yeah, just take themselves out of the situation and disappear. Mm. And um, I've, I've heard a few stories like that, and it's, it's quite interesting, isn't it? It's, it's like, is it an out-of-body experience? But like you said, your friend was none the wiser, was not even aware of the fact, and he was there mm. with, your, with your girl. And, um, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a very interesting story, and I would love to see if there's more people with similar experiences, you know, and, and what their take is on, on this sort of phenomena that, that mm. obviously have taken place. And thank you for sharing that. Yeah, no problems. No Giving problems. me goosebumps. goosebumps. Well, it gave us uh, a hell of a fright too because, I mean, ultimately, you know, something like this was, I mean, not that you plan things, especially when you're filming a paranormal reality TV series, <clears throat> you don't plan, pardon me, you don't actually plan things to happen. So mm. <clears throat> you, you, the only thing that you can plan is one, things that you set up. Um, mm. And obviously that is revealed at the end that, okay, well, we had two guys in a cupboard, you know, making sound. Uh, what else did you experience? Um, if the, you know, if the, uh, the person who's doing the, the challenge said, well, look, you know, I also experienced something else. Um, uh, and, um, and then we could say, okay, well, we can either clarify that that was in case set up or it wasn't set up. Mm. But um, there was another instance, and I think that's actually recorded that we put that in because I haven't seen this for a long time. It's in the uh, second episode of Phasmophobia, which is on very paranormal TV. Mm-hmm. Um, I think in the second episode, she actually records an EVP, somebody actually whispering her name. Oh. So, uh, and she thought it was one of the guys, you know, so one of the camera. Well, actually, she thought it was me because I was actually standing outside 
the doorway mm-hmm. um, just in case, you know, she starts screaming or, you know, she become, yeah, she starts panicking. So we mm-hmm. have to react immediately because it, people react in, in situations like that differently. Mm-hmm. Some people freeze up. Some people, okay, let's let me get out of here or some people might just go and investigate. So mm-hmm. you really don't know what to expect from people once they're put into a situation like this, into a fear-based situation. So I was sort of standing at the at the entry there. Um, so she couldn't see me because obviously it bears off and got this long corridor. But certainly there was an EVP, somebody was actually calling her name and she responded to it. She thought it was me and it wasn't. So that was another interesting phenomenon of, of that second, uh, or basically of that uh, uh, that particular investigation that we did. Oh, man. <laughs> it's it's more than interesting. And when you say EVP, what, what, what does that stand for? Uh, it's electronic voice phenomena. So essentially what it is, it's... it's uh, it's a sound that is made by we don't know what. Uh, some people believe that it's made. It's a disembodied voice from mm-hmm. you know, ghosts, um, but usually is heard on playback mm-hmm. when you're recording, when you're using a recording media. But in this case, it was actually heard in real time, so which is very, very rare when people actually hear voices um, that can't be sort of. Um, I guess pinpointed down to anyone or anything. So. Um, yeah, in this case, it was it was an ambiguous voice, an ambiguous sound, so we don't know who made that sound or what made that sound, to be honest. And, and none of the crew owned up to playing a prank on anyone, so there's really no explanation for it, right? No, because this was within close proximity to, to the actual person who was doing the challenge, the young lady, and all the rest of the crew were sort of in the bowels of the... Um, uh, of this of this particular hospital, of this asylum. So she was more towards the entranceway because she, she sort of took refuge in this particular ward, which was not far from the entry. So mm. um, there's a T intersection probably about five metres away from where, she, from where this particular ward was. And obviously within that T intersection, she takes a, a turn and then, you know, about 10 metres and she's outside. So... I was just basically outside there waiting and listening, um, but uh, no, there was nobody around her, and that's that's the strange thing because there was nobody there, nobody near her. Unbelievable! Mm. It's making me go all quiet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's amazing, yeah. and especially because I've, I've researched this sort of, um, you know, the whole voice thing and what you call an EVP, and like you said, a lot of times it's it needs a electronic device to be able to be heard because I think the theory is that um, these beings don't have a voice box anymore and need some sort of electronic device uh, to help them um, make that voice being heard again. Mm. But then how do we explain this then? That's quite amazing, isn't it? It is, it is. I mean, obviously it's frequency is altered in some shape or form. Nobody really knows for sure how this is actually made or produced. Mm. Um, some people will say that, you know, it's the radio waves uh, that have been picked up, um, which, look, it, it can be, that can happen, but in this particular case there were no radio waves because she heard this real time. So, um yeah, it's it's quite fascinating. There are other you know elements that have that have happened over the years whilst filming, um, and you just shake your head, and think, okay, well, what are we dealing with? What is this? What's going on? You know? I know. But can, can you share one of the most uh, mind-boggling ones that that has you know? There's always the one story that has stayed with you forever, and 
you know, maybe your favorite story out of all the encounters, experiences that you've had over the years? Well, um, I think more so the crew have had more experiences because I'm basically always preoccupied, you know, setting up cameras and making sure everything's sort of rolling. So mainly dealing with the gear and, and making sure that, you know, we're planning the next uh, segment of the of the role. So one particular incident was uh, two of the crew members actually were at a um, an, another abandoned hospital, mm-hmm. uh, which was independent from this one. Um, and we were filming where, at night. Where, where are we? In, are we in Australia? Or? We are in Australia, yep. Um, so we're still filming in Australia. Um, uh, and this particular hospital was, was quite an interesting place because uh, we had a lot of phenomena happening here. So we were outside, and this is probably about 11, 12 o'clock at night, and there's one light source on the outside uh, in this whole area. And... Uh, Two of, the, two of the crew members were actually just outside having a rest, having something to eat, and they noticed that there was some kind of creature that was crawling across from one end of the hospital to the other end outside. So it's basically going from outside of the hospital uh, towards the light source and into the, into the scrub. And this thing was described like a human torso, and it was actually crawling on its elbows, but really, really fast. Oh, my God. <laughs> now, you wow. know... One person sees that you think, okay, well, they're probably tied and they're loose. So when you get two people, that becomes interesting. Mm. Um, obviously, if you have more than two people, then, then well, wow, you know. But still, I, I, I believe these people's judgment and I don't doubt that what they saw was, was, um, was not real. So I don't doubt that for a second, that, that, you know, um, that what they saw was, was a, a real thing. But, I, I, look, I don't know what it was. Um, mm. It's something that's creepy and interesting. People have seen a lot of creepy stuff on shoots, um, and you don't always have a ready camera to to um, to actually capture this. It's very difficult because you always get comments from people saying, "Well, okay, you know, you're saying that you had all these experiences, how come didn't catch it on camera?" Mm-hmm. A lot of this stuff happens when you're offset because that's when people have time to focus and to look around um and especially with in my case again like i said before you know you're very busy um Mm -hmm. setting up and planning ahead but that's when crew member actually have time to focus because otherwise they're, they're, they're doing what they're supposed to be doing, like investigating and they've got their equipment uh, and if the sound happens and they focus on that. But in this particular case, they they have the opportunity to look around and, and sort of relax a little bit. Mm. And that's when a lot of things get noticed. Um, and you don't, like I said, don't always have cameras pointing in 360 degrees in a 360-degree environment because you can't, it's virtually impossible to have cameras rolling all the time. Um, you can set up security cameras, but, mm. um, you know, if you're in an area where there's no power, it makes it very difficult other than that one particular light, but there was no sort of power source in this particular hospital. And, and even then, because I remember when we, when my family met with your crew in 2006, I remember that you guys came to the particular house that we lived in at the time. And mm. I remember you guys saying you had brand new equipment, had been filming all week leading up to the event that we were about to film there. Mm. And I still remember that the equipment refused to film. It was, mm. everything was nicely set up and things were about to start and happening. And for some reason, the equipment did not fail. It did not want to come on. So you sometimes wonder also if they tamper with your equipment. So if you do have everything set up and ready to go, you yeah. know, what are the chances to really actually capture it on film? Because 
like you said, they're energy beings. Um, they work on a certain vibration level or energy level or whatever it is, what you, what you call it. And that might still interfere with, with electronic equipment. Mm-hmm. Well, it's very difficult to, to uh, you know, understand what we're dealing with, to be honest. I mean, it's, it's ambiguous, mm. definitely. Um, but what we're dealing with, nobody really knows. We can only assume and make assumptions, but, you know, that's not enough because everybody have their, has, has their own theories. So it's very difficult to actually uh, pinpoint down exactly what we're dealing with. If, if we know, then it wouldn't be ambiguous. It wouldn't be regarded as pseudoscience. Um so, yes, it, there's, there's been a number of occasions when, you know, recording equipment have been affected and um, there was an instance um, back in 2001 where I was up there with a crew investigating uh, some sightings that we were getting of, of UFO encounters. Um, what these UFOs were, who knows? That's why the acronym states unidentified flying objects because they're unidentified. Exactly. Uh, so, so we're not necessarily dealing with what people assume to be extraterrestrial in nature, so it could be anything. Mm. But I do recall I had a brand-new handy cam and we were on the northern beaches at the edge of a cliff. This thing comes out of the water at night. It was a glowing orb-like object and it was just hovering above the water. Um, and my friend had a... Um, had an old analog camera and I had a brand new digital camera and we quickly sort of pointed it to this object and none of the cameras would switch on. Yeah. So, um, and the funny thing was as soon as we turned the cameras into the opposite directions, the cameras turned on, but by the time we sort of realigned, this thing had flared up and just shot out into the atmosphere. So we don't know what the hell we're dealing with. And this thing came out of the water or in the northern beaches. Amazing. So. Yeah, there was quite a number of encounters that we, we had there and funny enough actually managed to take a photo of one using an old 30-year-old Pentax camera with film mm. um, and just having the shutter open for a few seconds um, and we got a bit of trailing. So basically what we saw was this uh, this, this orb-like object that was coming in from the, uh, from the ocean. It was sort of just above the water. And it would stop probably about probably a click from the actual coast and it would hover above the water and then submerge into the ocean. Wow. Was, so, was this part of the what they called the blue water investigations at the time? I remember there was a lot of activity going around that area early 2000. Uh, yeah, well, there was we, we did initiate a project back in the time that was solely focused on, you know, um, encounters um, around them in the ocean. Um, we, even, we even hired a charter boat in 2002, I think it was, in the central coast and went out and, and did a, an observation out there at night. Mm. It's quite interesting because the, the charter operator thought we were going to go fishing and I said, no, we're just going to go in <laughs> and set up some equipment. <laughs> okay, whatever you're paying for it, that's fine. We'll, we'll do whatever you guys need to. So Whatever floats uh, your boat. <laughs> well, literally, yes. Yes. Um, but, uh, yeah, we, we went to some sort of extreme measures and, you know, if we had the technology that we have today, like drones and the like, you know, we mm. would have been able to achieve a little bit more. Um, and then again, who knows, you know, knowing that equipment, um, you know, your electronic equipment gets uh, gets affected um, by whatever these things uh, actually uh, produce. Yeah, it could be electromagnetic radiation that interferes with the electronics, who knows. Mm. Yeah, so... Because I remember there were some theories going about that um, these flying objects might use water to fuel themselves with because we also would see them going into clouds and absorb 
cloud formation. So I've heard about that as well. And that there's somehow that they, that it helps them propel themselves or that there was something um, on the bottom of the sea maybe. And that's where they would appear from, mm. that there might be maybe a secret city under the water or something like that. So what, what is your thought on that? Well, look, I mean, again, this is, it's another theory. You know, we, we don't know for sure why this is happening. I mean, ultimately, if something goes underwater, it's a good way of disguising yourself. Mm. Um, but, look, at the end of the day, nobody knows for sure. Uh, if, if it's military-based, obviously, the guys with the appropriate security clearance will know what their purpose is because they're the ones who are involved with the project and design. Um, if it's not, then we could, we're just left here scratching our heads and we can debate this like a bunch of philosophers until the sun goes down. Um, okay. You know, it's, it's, it's just one of those things that will we ever know for sure? No, it's, again, there are more questions and answers and, and that's what this field tends to do. You think mm. that, okay, well, I'm going to start investigating um, the unknown, um, so which ranges from, you know, so-called ghostly activity or survival hypothesis to the UFO phenomena to cryptozoology. But at the end of the day, you're going to end up having more questions and answers. Absolutely. Because the more you delve into it, the more questions you have and the more sort of connections you start to make. So for for myself, I just, you know, I just asked myself the other day because this, you know, I was diving into the whole phenomena of mediums and and and, mm. and all the you know the whole paranormal and why can certain why do certain people claim to be able to talk to people that have passed on to the afterlife, mm. but why can't mm. I? Although I have the same interest in it, and you know what what is the differentiating factor in that? What what's what makes them so different from me? And then I'm starting to connect the dots. It's like, well, what if the whole paranormal and and the whole extraterrestrial is actually the same thing. This interview with Attila will be continued in episode 3, where we discuss if there is indeed a link between the paranormal and UFO encounters. Stay tuned. You've been listening to Australian Strange Stories. Tune in again next time for more real stories about hair-raising encounters, unnerving events and weird happenings. See you next time. Don't be a stranger.